Welcome to another AmeriCorps Connections podcast. I'm so excited. If you are a returning viewer or listener, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. And if you haven't yet, please hit subscribe and follow and like and share and do all the things. I'm learning more about algorithms and apparently that matters. So I'm going to ask you every time to do that. If you're getting any value from this AmeriCorps Connections podcast, please, please, please share. So I'm Nikki Fiaco, and I'm the founder and brainchild of AmeriCorps Connections. I'm an AmeriCorps alum. And I aim to bring AmeriCorps alumni together on this podcast and have conversations just to learn about what they're up to now. We like to reminisce about our service, our service year, the, the highs, the lows, the tears, the joys. But then one of the things that I think is really exciting and interesting is what we're all doing now. We all have a shared but different experience. There's 1.2 million of us that have gone through a service year. So we are a strong, strong collaboration. We are a strong voice. And it's just my hope that through one interview a week that we start to get to a better idea of what AmeriCorps alumni are capable of after their service year. And I'm so excited to have Jordan Sandman with us today. We actually met in person in 2023 during an alumni event at Serve DC. And I'm so excited to bring him onto this podcast. He has amazing points of view from his service year into where he sees AmeriCorps going in the future. So really excited to dive in on this conversation. Before we do, I do want to promote that the Tool Bank USA, you may or may not know, but the second week of March is AmeriCorps week and Tool Bank USA will be supporting with uh, service projects for AmeriCorps alumni um, in six cities across the United States. So during the week of March 10th through the 16th, um, if you are in or around Baltimore, Charlotte, Cincinnati, uh, Houston, Phoenix, or Richmond, please check out your tool banks to see what type of service projects they have available for you. And this is just a way for AmeriCorps alumni to come together in person and do what we do best is serve our communities. So thank you so much, Tool Bank USA and all of the tool banks across the country who are willing to support AmeriCorps and AmeriCorps alumni. So please check that out. And if you are listening, you're going to want to go to toolbank.org, AmeriCorps Week 2024. So with no further ado, I'm so excited to bring Jordan Sandman onto this podcast and to pick his brain and to have a conversation and to learn about his service years. So let's start there, Jordan, as we always do. Where did you, what program did you serve in? When did you serve? And let's chat about your service year. Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on, Nikki. So I served in AmeriCorps and C. I believe I was class 25. So I graduated in 2019. And my service sites were in, was based out of Aurora, Colorado, and service sites were in Missouri, in West Plains, a town in, in the Ozarks, and Walsenburg, Colorado, as well as Manhattan and Marysville, Kansas. So in NCCC, as many of you will know, you do about three-month uh, stints in different, different towns. Uh, and... Let's see. So in uh, Missouri, my uh, team was working in a, and I was a team leader, I should mention. Uh, my In Missouri, my team was working um, in a botanical garden, building sort of a path and sort of a tourist site for the town. 
in Colorado, we were doing flood mitigation. So they had had a large wildfire and we were helping doing flood prevention because after wildfires can come pretty bad floods, particularly in mountains where there's steep terrain. Um, and then Kansas, we were working both on trails and then with a veterans organization doing rehabilitation of veterans working on on farms. So it was quite a diverse set of, of jobs, but I had great teams and really had an awesome experience. I, I love talking about it. Yeah. I love that about NCCC, it, just the different experiences that you can have throughout your service year. The other streams of service, a lot of times you're at one location working on one project throughout your year and, and NCCC kind of gets the whole gamut of things to possibly work on. In your in reflection of your service year, you've produced a, a lot of content about a ref, reflecting on going into the communities and, and meeting different people and bringing your assumptions with you and then suddenly realizing that your assumptions were like totally wrong about these communities. I had a similar experience. It wasn't during my AmeriCorps year, but it was during a volunteer project where I brought just these terrible assumptions about serving people food. Like I had all of, all of these assumptions of who was going to come through that food line. And I was totally blown away when I saw people that looked looked just like me and who knows what kind of situation they were in. But you know, so let's, can you talk a little bit about like during your service year, when you went into these different communities and you just were like, okay, <laughs> hello. Sure thing. Yeah. So I grew up in Washington, DC and basically felt that rural areas in America must be the most boring place in the world. And basically as a, as a kid, never thought I would ever live in a, a rural part of the U.S. But sure enough, after college, I became interested in kind of challenging myself and testing, as you said, that assumption. And, and so I found NCCC and almost did the program begrudgingly. Like I, I just felt that, you know, was this, this wasn't the most prestigious program. Like, you know, they wear these silly uniforms. This is going to be manual labor. Um, I'm coming out of a college degree program. Why should why should I do such a thing? But actually, I think what brought me to NCCC is one. Um, I spoke to a former graduate, and he said, "Look, this is actually an incredibly challenging program." And I think that's one thing I found is no matter who you are, NCCC will find a way to challenge you, even if you think you're the best and brightest of of whoever. It's 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 an incredibly challenging program. But then also, one thing people don't realize is as a team leader, it's an incredibly valuable management opportunity. I mean, how, how, in what program are you able to like come out of college or not even be done with college and manage 12 people, which provided incredible insights about who I was as a person, as well as just, you know, how to, the skills of managing people, which I think I grew a ton at and, and have since had have great experiences and, you know, more, traditional professional environments, just because, you know, I've kind of, as you said, run the gamut of, of all the management yeah. uh, uh, challenges in AmeriCorps. So, so yeah, so that's, that's where I was coming from. And then I guess to, to speak a little bit to your question, I mean, there's any number of examples I could give. I've, I've written a piece where one of them was, you know, a farmer who came up to me with a camouflage hat and, a, you know, and sure enough, I, assumed that this person would never, and, and the guy actually asked me about whether I believe in climate change and, you know, what are my political views? And of course, that led me to a, a bit of a, an anxious moment, but sure enough, 
you know, we had a great conversation. He was a farmer and had seen the effects of climate change on his property. And so basically, you know, there, there are incredible opportunities for interchange that happened throughout my AmeriCorps experience. So, so I'll pause there. Yeah, that's a great example. You just, you know, walking into a, a different, you know, I, I, I worked in South Carolina and for about a year and driving to some of our program sites, like I didn't even realize I was driving through a town. Like I would pass through a stop sign and then I would pass through, pass a school and then I would pass a grocery store and then I would be in another city or something. And, you know, it, it, it is kind of like unassuming what, what is, what's going on out there. But, you know, I would go into the communities and meet the people and, and it, it, their issues and concerns were the same as mine. Right. And I think to your point with the NCCC experience, especially the NCCC leader experience. Yeah. Like, so I think it's age seven or 18 through 26 or 24 for NCCC. And, you know, you get thrown into a, a management or leadership job at 26 in a, a consulting firm. It's quite different than, you know, NCCC because you have to think about like the well-being of people, the interpersonal relationships. You know, this is not just like office politics. This is like humans surviving and thriving in sometimes I can imagine situations that are kind of uncomfortable with not all the resources that would probably support some like a, a good outcome right Absolutely. not to make it sound horrible <laughs> yeah, yeah no 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 you know I mean we I've dealt with situations you know we all have traumatic experiences in our in our lives and you know you're going to come across various triggers that's going to happen as a part of you know the inevitable kind of friction that comes with bringing 12 people that are essentially a cross-section yeah. of the country together but you kind of have to figure out a way to manage that dynamic and get through it. And oftentimes those experiences are what bring a team together um, and make the most effective teams is when you can come out on the other side of, of an experience like that. And so, yeah, I think every team leader has to deal with something like that yeah. and, and it's incredibly valuable experience and, and it often yields great results. Yeah. So in the piece that you reflected on, and we'll make sure we have the links to some of these, the content that you've created, you talk about how the program investment outweighs the program cost. So sometimes it's hard to quantify social change, right? Because like, what are we going to just look at like what somebody makes as their salary 10 years out after their AmeriCorps year? And what does that actually really represent? you know, through our conversations, you have some really amazing ideas about like what what we could look at for outcomes of not just the communities that were served, but the people who went through the AmeriCorps program. And again, you know, to piggyback on some of those ideas is that like, that's the purpose of this podcast. Like there's 30 something episodes on here and everybody is doing something different in different parts of the country. And, and, and also across the pond, we did interview in Germany, you know, what impact are we having? Do you want to speak to some of those ideas that you have? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think monitoring and evaluation in any program is really, really important. Basically in any kind of government or public policy job, what you measure is what you, what you get is, is kind of an aphorism. Um, but maybe to back up, I mean, I think 
we need kind of a new narrative around national service. Because if you think about, you know, what people generally think of for the people that do know about AmeriCorps, it's kind of about what kind of impact you have on a community and the basically what we're measuring when you do your reporting in AmeriCorps is like how much brush you've cleared, um, to what extent you've made progress on affordable housing, you know, the outputs of the service. Uh, But I think equally, if not more important, is kind of the soft, harder to measure aspects of service from what we call social capital transfer and public policy. But essentially what that means is, you know, the experiences that you get from meeting different people, whether that is someone who's well off and has gone to a university who meets someone from a more disadvantaged community and actually, you know, increases their kind of civic willingness to solve social problems and understanding and concern for their fellow citizen. Or it's even, you know, folks who have grown up in those more disadvantaged backgrounds who can meet people who have had more advantage and have had have the ability to help folks, you know, even learn how to show up for a job every day or, you know, or teach them about how to write a resume or apply for college. That is incredibly important. I think some of the most impactful work I did as a part of AmeriCorps was helping people get into graduate school programs by helping edit their essays, right? And and just because I had that skill set, without AmeriCorps, we never would have met. And, you know, and then kind of feeling that impact, like, how are you going to quantify that in a cost-benefit analysis? Um, whereas if you're just focusing on the amount of brush cleared, you're not going to capture that kind of impact. And to me, particularly in a country that is increased, it feels like it's increasingly segregated, polarized by various demographics, whether it's your political background or your race or your socioeconomic status, particularly NCCC is a program that brings people together and kind of Mm -hmm. forces them to, to meet each other and interact with each other and then get along with each other. So I think in a nation that is increasingly unfamiliar with its various segmented parts, this type of, I guess, what we would call a public policy intervention or just government program is increasingly important and something that that I think we're not paying enough attention to. So how would we, like, you know, I have several interviews with NCCC members and they all reflect on their service year and they all reflect on their service year and say, because of NCCC in my current role, I am doing this, or I think about things this way. Like Jason Rose, he's a, he's a city designer and he thinks about his night, his starry nights in NCCC. And he thinks about when they design, you know, bus routes, like, it it has an impact, you know, Kate Morton went into pharmacy school because of her experience in NCCC. I don't know if like interviewing people every week and then grabbing pieces of information, like how do you show that on a bar graph? Like, you know, when you think about NCCC and all of the programs, like even Vista, right? You're thinking of like, how do we measure the impact that the member has on all the people that they're interacting with to your point that they would have never met if they didn't do this program. And then how do we also see the domino effect of 
where that, how that AmeriCorps member went through the rest of their life and impacted folks along the way. I mean, that just seems highly impossible. And you mm-hmm. seem like a genius. So what's the answer, Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. And I mean, then we'll keep it a secret and then sell it. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, I, I did an C, so I'm not in it for the money. I know, right. <laughs> but you really you should, probably should have like Raj Chetty from Harvard University or some economist on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be a hard get. But, uh, but you know, there is, pro- I assume in economic literature, there's a way to track and measure social capital transfer. I mean, one problem with the income statistics is if you take someone from, you know, highly ranked college and put them in, let's say, NCCC, and they go as a result of that from a job that would have been in investment banking, making a ton of money to a job teaching kids and transforming students from that cost benefit analysis, that would have been a actually a very harmful intervention if you're only looking at incomes. And so that's a, another big problem with the cost benefit analysis that just looks at income is it completely ignores the socially beneficial work um, that is really important for the country, but may not show up in just purely economic terms. So so I don't I actually don't know a way to capture them the statistics. I think the the answer, Nikki, lies in your question which is that we need to keep telling stories and stories Mm. motivate action as much as numbers. Obviously you need numbers to figure out how big the program should be and, you know, figure out, you know, how much it is working. But I think the, the qualitative aspect of understanding why, you know, there's kind of this saying like, Oh, you know, we need more national service to increase the cohesion of the country and, you know, build trust among communities. And you hear that, repeated over and over and over again. But you pretty rarely actually see the stories that tell how that cohesion happens. So piece I'd like to write actually begins with my core member Q, who I'm sure is is happy to be quoted or, or referred to on this podcast. But he's a guy who's from Brooklyn and, you know, showed up in his do-rag to West Plains, Missouri on karaoke night and was likely the only person of color, aside from Sharice, who's a, a member of my team, and him getting on stage. And, you know, there was a hush that went over the crowd and a lot of, like, concern of who is this person coming to our communities, clearly not from here. And then, you know, he gets up there and starts belting out Tim McGraw and the whole place goes nuts. And people are going up to him the whole night and signing a cow. He's signing their cowboy hats. Um, oh my gosh, that's so cool! Again, right? How do you quantify the impact of that yeah. on racial harmony and understanding? It's it's impossible. But if we can tell those stories and people can understand it, then you know perhaps the numbers won't be so important because. I think if there's there's anything that unites the folks who have done national service, it's that they understand the value of these programs. So yeah, I think more stories is is important. 
Yeah. And, and folks that are listening and watching, I didn't prep Jordan with any of these questions. So I'm about to ask you another really hard question because there's our stories and we have the podcast and I've, I've been in the national service arena. You meet with your politicians and you have Hill day and you, you know, go in and you have your pitch and you, you know, certain people can meet with other certain higher officials, but who needs to hear these stories? Is it, is it the folks that are voting on budget or is it like the population of the United States? Like you, I'm sure you've experienced, like I'm an AmeriCorps member. Have you ever heard of AmeriCorps? They're like, no, what's that? And then you're like, oh, have you heard of Peace Corps? And they're like, yeah, I've heard of that. And you're like, well, we're the domestic Peace Corps. Like we do that work here. And they're like, well, what, you know, I don't know. I'm reading this book called The One Thing. And it's really looking at what is, what can you, what can get the bang, biggest bang for your buck, right? Like 80% or forget what the, what the percentage is, but like you find something that you can spend 80% or 20% of your focus on, and that's going to give you 80% of your return. So who needs to hear these stories? Like, where do we need to broadcast these? I, I'm sure it's all different levels, but if we were trying to look for the biggest bang for our buck, who needs to know that AmeriCorps not only impacts our communities, but it impacts people? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a great question that I haven't put too much thought into, but yeah, let me give sorry. it a No, no, no problem. I mean, so one thing, one thing I do say is AmeriCorps is generally the biggest organization in America that no one has ever heard of. Um, yeah. And so that's a, that's a big problem. And I think you're onto something about the general public. So, you know, obviously politicians need to hear about these stories and be bought into them, but politicians are often levers for political opinion. So yeah. I actually think the biggest group that needs to be more prominent is the AmeriCorps alums themselves. As you mentioned, yeah. there are 1.2 million of us, and yet we are completely unorganized. We don't know who each other are. We don't know where everyone lives. There are various efforts to unite AmeriCorps alums, but they're relatively small. And even, you know, I lived in D.C. after graduation from AmeriCorps for three years before I heard about um AmeriCorps alums in DC, which is among the most mature chapters. Mm -hmm. um, so there's really a big need for that community. And, and until that community starts speaking for itself and informing others about the existence of AmeriCorps, I don't think you're going to get the broad-based political support that you would, you would benefit. And even if you took those 1.2 million people, got them talking, got them politically active and and all of their family members and maybe two of their closest friends, like that's a huge, huge segment of the country. So, so I, I, I'd suggest, you know, pushing on the open doors, essentially the cracked doors, which is the people who have done this program and actually, you know, these messages automatically resonate with them. And yeah, and I think that's, that's where the effort needs to go. And it's something, you know, I've thought about spending more time on because it's a really important question. I love that. I, 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 it, it it's so important. And the, the, the unorganized part of it, I feel that, right. Like I've kind of been in the alumni space for 
at least five years uh, working with a little bit with Service Year Alliance, um, working a little bit of my capacity with within the uh, service commissions. Um, you know, and and we know like what some of the issues are, like people identify more with their program than with AmeriCorps. So how do we broadcast like you are an AmeriCorps member, right? Like I remember when I was director for Volunteer Maryland and it was AmeriCorps week and I wanted to celebrate AmeriCorps week, but we didn't have any photos of the AmeriCorps logo on our members. They were branded as volunteer Maryland coordinators. There wasn't even AmeriCorps in the name and title of the AmeriCorps. They didn't know they were AmeriCorps members. And so, I mean, literally that week I changed the culture of the organization and I said, it's AmeriCorps first because it's important to stay connected to your cohort and the folks that you serve with. But you get more bang for your buck if we want to talk about the 80-20 to get into that AmeriCorps alumni LinkedIn page and, and look at all of the opportunities that are available and the folks that are sharing great resources. You know, I think about organizations like the Rotary Club, which I know people are like, that's like so old school, right? But they have folks that are still involved, like that are still still moving and shaking. I, you know, I don't know what the answer is to to pull people together, but I think having folks like you, people like you on the podcast that speak to this and and have done some deep work and deep thinking about it will start to have kind of a snowball effect. I mean, the fact that this podcast already has almost two thousand downloads and I've got followers. I mean, like people want this information, right? Like whether you're an AmeriCorps alum or somebody who's thinking about AmeriCorps, people use this podcast in all different, in all different ways. So I think we're, that you're really onto something. I think this conversation is, is ripe. I think people are excited. I think larger agencies like AmeriCorps, America's Service Commission, Service Year Alliance are starting to lean more into the importance of the alumni. And, and I love what you said, like everybody who served, their immediate family and two of their favorite friends. I mean, we're we're looking at quite a few people <laughs> at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, just a couple other reflections is, you know, this actually goes back to the monitor, monitoring and evaluation point is businesses really ought to be um, yes. in supporting AmeriCorps, particularly, you know, I will go on like a broken record about NCCC because of the, just the improvement in the, essentially the workforce that will will be employed by their companies as a result of having done service, having to show up to work, doing pretty grueling work and, you know, engage in a very diverse environment. Those are the skills of the future. If you look at an increasingly globalized, you know, workforce with outsourcing, like we have to engage in our jobs with people who are different from us. And if there's anything that AmeriCorps is good at it is, you know, mirroring that interaction. So businesses are are one. And the, the other one, you know, I, I think we, I think there, it would benefit. And the reason I went to businesses is there needs to be some sort of clear, I mean, it kind of goes to like teachers in the U S um, raising and elevating the profile of, of national service, because, you know, unfortunately, how the political system of our country works, too, is, you know, wealthy, well-educated people have outsized influence. And I don't think they see the value of national service. They see the value of something like Teach for America, which is geared towards higher educated folks who generally come from higher socioeconomic status. 
backgrounds, but the other programs, not so much. And in my impact, you know, my um, assessment, some of those programs are actually the most impactful ones. So, so driving more understanding, you know, on things like college campuses to say, look, this is actually really important and valuable for, for you. I think I, even in terms of self-reflection, like I, I probably would have said, oh, you know, why, why should I be doing manual labor out of, you know, a, a highly ranked, but what a foolish way of thinking. And I think it is pretty common. So I, I, yeah, I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done on that front. Yeah. And, and you know, when you mentioned employers, so there's employers of national service and it's on the AmeriCorps website. Again, I remember when I was in the Maryland State Service Commission, I was working with Baltimore and, you know, Baltimore City is a employer of national service. And I was, I don't know which office I was speaking to, right? I don't think it was the HR office, but I'm like, did you know you were, you know, an employer of national service? Like, how do you, how do you navigate that? And she was kind of like, what? <laughs> I don't know what that means. You know, there's, there's organizations like Disney that are listed on employers for national service. So it would be an amazing PhD program, PhD, like focused on like, how do employers of national service actually elevate AmeriCorps members in their hiring process, you know, just being listed on there, but we have a funnel, we have these tools and, you know, some of the folks that I interviewed, like Dana Benjamin, she has her own, I'm not using her plate product placement cup today. Sorry, but sorry, Dana, but you know, she has her own consulting company and AmeriCorps members, if their resumes come in, they go right to the, the top. And she said, she's like, I'll have a conversation with somebody, even if I don't want to hire, if I can't hire them in the moment to find out what they're interested in, maybe point them into a different direction. So Yes, so many things there that we could totally riff on, but I want to make sure that you have plenty of time to just reflect on like what you're doing now and how your how your service kind of th what you're up to now and then any other like takeaways or thoughts of, you know, how we can make this AmeriCorps thing like a household name somehow. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, kind of a connecting thread is uh, Part of the reason I got my first job was just because I, you know, had applied for a job and I applied for a lot of jobs in the DC area and hoping to work in think tanks. And, you know, the one that stuck was a very competitive position, but the national service and willingness to do service stuck out for my employers. And actually what you'll find is people that value national service are the people you want to work for because they're service oriented they care about the work that you you do and the impact of it much more so than just purely looking at the bottom line and those tend to be better better employers so so i think it's a it's a great selection effect to have on your resume as just one one more reason to do national service but yeah so i i work in international development now i i work on a in a field called digital public infrastructure, which is essentially how the state in the 21st century does public administration, which is often through digital means. So, you know, countries like particularly India and Brazil have are kind of at the forefront of this, where rather than paying with a credit card that charges a lot of transaction fees, 
or using cash. A lot of people are just using mobile phones to make purchases, mm. to receive government benefits, and it's all seamless. So when India was managing the pandemic, at the click of a button, they sent a social welfare payment to 200 million women. While even in the US, we waited weeks for pandemic checks to come in the mail. So it's actually quite wow. remarkable. Some of the innovation is coming out of developing countries with less capacity. And anyway, so my job is to give grants to civil society organizations that are working on, on this topic. And yeah, it's been a, a quite an incredible experience. I just got back from India where I spent the last two to three months working on this stuff. And yeah, it's been, been a wild ride. And it, it really did begin with AmeriCorps. You know, I, I was always kind of minded to work in, in some field in the public interest, but but I think AmeriCorps really provided the foundation for how to work on a team, how to be an effective team member. So it really was a was a great experience that was the foundation of my career. That's that is like the quote of the interview <laughs> right there. The foundation of my, my AmeriCorps was the foundation of my career. That's so amazing. And then just also circling back to the work that you do, it's going to be so satisfying. And then it's probably so weird when you come back to the United States and people are like, I'm not giving them my phone number or, or whatever it might be. Like, I still like, I've totally given up anytime, any website or anything is like, give me your email and phone number. I'm like, I don't, fine. You know, that's fine. I can delete your texts. I can delete your emails if need be. If you're going to steal my identity, like, okay, like figure it out from there. But, you know, I feel like we're kind of so guarded. We're like worried about some of these digital things, you know, the digital applications. So it's got to be bizarre when you come back to the United States and we're like, best country in the world. And you're like, what? <laughs> on, on some things, maybe. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, a lot of the people, we have a line at our work, uh, a lot of the people who are highly critical of digital technologies are the first to line up at global entry and provide their face scan and fingerprints to cut the line. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's the government does have a lot of your biometric identity, even through driver's license and other, other things. So, I, yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I did get my retina scanned because I was gonna be late for a flight. So clear has my eyeball somewhere. I discontinued my membership, but somewhere Nikki's eyeball is available for somebody to grab if they need it. I believe it. I believe it. And yeah, that's un you know, fortunately, better or worse, it's the world we're living in. We ought to be concerned about you know, where our data goes and how it's governed, but, you know, completely shutting ourselves off from the kind of digital future that we're going to be living in is probably not the right call either. Right. So, yeah. No. So Jordan, you have so many ideas and, you know, when we met in person at that Serve DC event, it was just such a pleasure speaking with you. And like I said, you've done such amazing reflection on how important AmeriCorps is, not just for individuals, but for the story of our country and for the ability to, I wouldn't even say bring our country together because I don't even know if that's really the goal, but it's just to make people better and and to, to give them experiences to just be better people and not in a ranking system, but you know, when you're compassionate and you're curious, like that's kind of my theme for this year is going into situations, compassionate and curious, like, why do you think that way? Or why do you live this way? Or how do you live this way? Or like, how do you bake bread? You know, like 
like let's go into some of these things with a little bit of compassion and a little bit of curiosity and i feel like we would just be i don't know just better people and it would just feel feel a little bit better you know as we start to kind of wrap up i want to make sure you have enough time to share any other musings that you have about either americorps or or life in general we can go esoteric do you meditate i meditate uh-huh. I did yoga this morning well i just got back from india which is like the oh. the, the the progenitor of meditation so yeah i mean we could we could go into that one thing i was just thinking of when you were speaking about compassion is you know another reflection that i had had is if more towns had AmeriCorps teams in them, there would be fewer people at the January 6th riot, simply on account of kind of disproving that AmeriCorps teams disprove the national narratives of divisiveness that happen in popular media and on social media. I remember after uh, in Kansas, after my team went to a church that had hosted us for dinner, um, I still need to track down this post, but a woman had posted on Facebook that we had met there. She was, I think, like an 83-year-old woman or something. And she had basically said, you know, on the news, you hear only these awful stories of these kids from the city, but these guys showed up and, you know, it's so good to see like a positive story of people coming from cities and that young kids could be hardworking kind of disproving what what I had heard many times that Washington, D.C. and Chicago are murder capitals and the schools are terrible and, you know, a lot of essentially racially coded language and showing up one, you know, interaction at a time really starts driving some of the changes in mindset and understanding that we need to have in our country. And so I guess, you know, the last thing I'll say is, whether it's under the AmeriCorps logo or under some new logo, I just think we need to radically increase the amount of national service that that we have and and opportunities. And you know, part of that goes to paying people um, a living wage while they're doing national service to expand yeah. the availability, the opportunities. Um, part of that goes to just advertising the programs more. You know, I think again that would be a great solution to the marketing problem that AmeriCorps has. But, you know, I think there are people who are willing to do it. I think they just need to know about it and they need to be connected to the opportunities. And and then we could really do some great things for the country. So, yeah. Well, the one thing to build your algorithm is if you start following this podcast, then anything AmeriCorps, because I get advertisements all the time for NCCC, like my feed is all like AmeriCorps advertisement, whatever's out there. But, you know, I usually try to end this in the podcast with a question of what, what do you see for the greater AmeriCorps alum network? But I feel like you've answered it through this whole podcast. I don't even know if I like if there's something else you would like to add to that question. But even just finishing on what you said, where like expanding, expanding national service, the availability, the being paid for the service, you know, because the model it's it's outdated, right? Like, we need to make this opportunity available to every to everybody who wants to take advantage of it. And then also what you had said previously about like, if we can just if we can organize and we can organize and tap into our 
or significant circles and then two or three of our closest friends, then we can be a voice to be reckoned with. But if there's anything else that you feel like you want to add, like as a charge to these AmeriCorps alums that are listening to this, getting so excited and they all want to connect with Jordan, how would people connect with you? We'll, we'll circle back to that. But is there anything, any last, I don't know, call to action? Yeah, I mean, I would love to, well, I guess this is a, a great opportunity. I would love to hear people's stories as they have them about, you know, I think the question, Nikki, you asked me of, you know, basically had their assumptions tested, had they met par particularly groups of people that they had not met previously and had kind of either initial friction that led to understanding or different experiences. I'd love to hear about how AmeriCorps facilitated that. So that's one one personal plug. Um, but I think the biggest call to action is really just trying to get involved in any AmeriCorps alum pro uh, projects or programs in your area. There are a number of them. We don't know about them. You might need to do a little searching, but you know, building more of that synergy across the groups and building a shared advocacy movement is something we all need to do. And that begins kind of one conversation and event at a time. So let me leave it at, at that, but you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Jordan Sandman. So you can just search, search for me there. And I'm always happy to connect with other AmeriCorps alums. Yeah. That's perfect. I love that. And if folks do want to get connected, there are chapters across the country. Some of them are a little stronger than others. There's one here in DC that's super active. But if you're not on LinkedIn, the LinkedIn AmeriCorps alum group is somewhere that you will want to spend some time. Even if you don't have a paid for LinkedIn uh, subscription, you can still join that group. So Jordan, this was absolutely wonderful. And, and I appreciate the thoughtfulness that went into the conversation. And I know there were, there were some maneuvering around and you just got back in from India. So you probably have no idea what actual time it is right now. <laughs> and for everybody that hung in there to the very end, thank you so much. And we'll be back with another AmeriCorps alum and, and we'll, we'll pull together and, and get organized. So thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Brilliant. Thanks, Nikki.